listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I got to tell you something, people. Growing up, my brother had the best name. It was Thomas Spencer Cooper III. I was stuck with, and not stuck, it wasn't me, it was Stephen Scott Cooper. But my guest today has the most kick-ass name. I'm sorry. My guest, his name, you could see it'd be like one of those superheroes or, or, you know, like when Iron Man had Tony Stark, my guest could be that alter ego. And my guest from the Escape Club is Trevor Steele. How you doing, Trevor? Hey, Steve. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) It's funny. It's funny. People in America say that all the time about my name, but where I come from in London, no one thinks it's very special <laughs> why because it's it's i mean maybe it's because it's steel and a trevor yeah. and i believe your middle name's david right it is okay. yeah I, I don't really use that that's my that was my father's name so yeah i got i got lumbered with that in the middle but i don't ever use it really <laughs> it's, it's it's such a great name though and it's one of those things you know it, it sounds like like a rock star you know it's like you know <laughs> ladies and gentlemen trevor steel <laughs> so so you're over in england um right at the moment, yes, I'm in London. Yeah. Okay. Now, what's it like? I always want to. I always want to ask actors and writers to come on the show and musicians right now because what's going on with the coronavirus and being stuck inside? How does that affect your creativity? Are you? Do you feel more creative right now, or are you sort of in limbo? It's funny. I think I've spoken to a lot of people about this. When it first happened, um, I was right. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to write loads of stuff. I've been I've been putting things off. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And after about a month I realized I wasn't doing it. Um and I had to sort of look at myself and go, "Well, why aren't you being creative?" And, and the truth is, I think we've all been so affected by this. It's it's almost impossible to to imagine a world where this isn't happening. So it kind of stifled creativity to a point. And then further on, like we're three months in now, I've been getting together with the guys in the band because we're all over the planet at the moment. And we've started writing. But it's taken that long to get to that point where we can actually start writing again. It's the weirdest thing. Now, I saw you guys on the uh, Abducted in the 80s. That was a few weeks ago. Where were you performing at? Was that a backdrop or were you actually outside? Uh, it was me and Johnny, the bass player. We, we were outside. That's where he lives. That's his garden. Um, and we did a socially distanced performance. So I turned up, went down the side of his house, met him in the in the garden. He stayed one side, I stayed the other side. We sat on our chairs and, and we played acoustics. And yeah, it works quite well, I think. <laughs> now, when you guys are, when you're writing together now, as you said, you're all over. Where are the other guys located? At the moment, um, John, the guitarist, is in, is in Australia, which is where I've just moved back from. Um, Red drama is in Amsterdam and Johnny and I are both in London. Now when you write because you know it's so funny you know you think about it like with Zoom how Zoom has become so popular do you write do you guys get on Zoom together and pull out your instruments like what is the process as a musician like we can talk one on one but is it something that you know I'm sure if you guys have you guys been together for a long time we you have to have a certain synergy in writing. Do you guys just pop up like four of you on the screen and just throw ideas together and pull out your instruments? How does that work? Well, no, we can't. And, and a lot of musicians would say the same thing because there's a latency involved. So if I start playing a guitar um, and you wanted to sing over it, you wouldn't be able to because it had all come back wrong. So it's really hard to actually 
to actually do a do a right. But what we do is we get together and we talk about what we want to do. Usually one of us has got an idea and we sling it around over the net. We're all, we all use logic, so we'll send a session to it. Everyone sends sessions to each other. In fact, I'm, I'm going um, later on this afternoon to start singing over an idea. And then I'll send that off to the guys. They'll do their thing. It's not as, it's not as good as sitting in a room together. It's not at all. But we do end up with a good final product. You know, It's like you, you're kind of starting to make a record from the ground up. You just start with the record and write the song around it as you go. <laughs> Now, what made, what made, when did you know you wanted to be a musician? Was your family musical? Was it something, you know, a lot of people say they saw the Beatles on TV or they heard a certain sound. When did you know that you, and when did you know you wanted to do this? And when did you know you could actually sing? Oh, God, that's a long story, but I'll try and keep it short. So I was, at school, I, had, I was always a bit of a rebel. Um, I never really fitted in. And back in the day when I was at school, they didn't have places for people like me. You know, you didn't learn music or anything like that. If you did, it was, you know, one lesson a week and learning classical stuff. Um, so I wasn't getting on too well at school. And my mum, one day she said to me, I've seen an advert in the local paper. There's a cycling club. Go and join it because I'm fed up with you sitting around the house. I was about 14, I think, you know. Um, so I joined this cycling club. And you wouldn't believe it, but <laughs> this cycling club, was 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 full of drug taking hippies <laughs> all sorts of, and my mum if she'd have, if she'd have known she wouldn't have sent me there but you know they're all a lot older than me but they got me into music and I just started learning about this amazing music that I hadn't been particularly aware of at the time um, they they got me into that and through that another good friend of mine that I used to know in school kindergarten type school he said hey I, I know I know this band that that rehearsed down the school come and join me and we'll go and go and see them and maybe they'll have us as roadies so i started off being like hauling gear around for for guys in bands funnily enough the drummer of that band is is red who's now the drummer of that band so my first sort of love of music was watching him play drums in a, in a really rubbish local band but i was looking at it and going mm, i think I think I should do this. This this looks to me like exactly the sort of job I'm I'm set to do, really, because I'm not going to be doing anything else. <laughs> so, what was the music scene like then? I mean, you know, we always hear, you know, I mean, I grew up near Philadelphia, and we had a strong music scene. What was the music? Were you were you going to see besides your friends' band? Were you going to see live bands? What were you listening to that influenced you? It's interesting. We we all lived. It's, it's a suburb of London. I, I was born in London, but my parents moved out. We lived in a place called Upminster, which is probably 20 miles out of London. And from that little community of artists there, um, t two of us had big hits. One of them plays keyboards with Paul McCartney now. Um, Ian Jury came out of that little town. It's just like there was so much because there was nothing else to do there. So we, we, we there's quite a lot of development. What did I used to go and see? Um, well, when I first started going to see music, I was really young. Good God, I shouldn't have been allowed to go, really. But the first gig I saw was in Hyde Park in London, and it was the Jack Bruce Band after Cream had split up. And, and I'd heard Cream records because my friends and brothers and sisters had played it to me. So I went to see Jack Bruce and I think King Crimson Rules. And it was sort of the end of that sort of hippie era. But then after that, punk came along, and that's when, I, that's when we started going to see bands. I think more. It was the end of the pub rock era. So, um, yeah, end of the pub rock era into the punk period, and then then afterwards when when Elvis Costello came out and stuff like that. So so 
we were in a very vibrant scene in London for quite a while. Um, yeah, saw some really cool bands. So when you decided that you wanted to do this, because you said, hey, you know, it's a good, it's a good life. We're not going to complain. How did you go about getting your first band together? Oh God, it was <clears throat> friends. It's back in the back in the hometown. Um, friends of friends. Red taught me to play guitar. I mean, he taught me for about six months, so I knew a few chords. Word just went around. There was a music shop called. I can't even remember the name of it, but there's just this music store and people used to put little like little postcards up saying, we need a guitarist, we need a drummer, whatever. So you just got together with a bunch of kids, go to their garage and start thrashing out music and it was a horrible noise, but that's how you learn, you know. <laughs> now, when did, when did Escape Club come about? When, you know, was, what was the history of you guys getting started with that band? Well, John and I... The guitarist and I were, were in a kind of new romantic band before that called Mad Shadows. Um, and we did really well, well, really well for us locally. We were starting to fill out clubs in London, um, two or 300 people coming to see us. Our cable player, Ian, who's a great friend of ours, um, he one day sat us down and said, I'm sorry, guys, but I've been offered a gig playing keyboards for Talk Talk and I'm going to take it. So I was like, oh, right, OK. So he left. And the whole thing fell apart because because the songs weren't very good, and we'd been relying on his brilliant cable play to hold them up. <laughs> so, so it was kind of back to the drawing board. And in the meantime, Johnny, our bass player in Milan, who was our original drummer, were in a band called The Espressos, and they had very close to a hit in the UK. And they were doing really well, but again, they split up. So we all found ourselves kind of memberless, and we all knew each other from the scene. Um, got together. And um, said, well, hey, let's form a band. And, it, and we went into rehearsals for a year, um, came out and called ourselves the Escape Club. And that's how it started. Now, who was doing the burden of, burden of writing when you guys started out? Was it collaborative like it is now? Or what was the process? It was collaborative. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm the lyricist, so I've always written the lyrics because I'm the guy singing in my case. Um, it's, it was collaborative. I think the best songs we wrote probably were sat around somebody's house writing rather than in a, in a, in a rehearsal room. And these days when I talk to bands forming up and everything, say never write a song in a rehearsal room, really. You should, should always write, a, if you're going to write a really decent song with a good melody and everything, try and sit with an acoustic guitar or a piano and just get the nuts and bolts of the song before you start going and making a noise, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's collaborative. Then John and I tend to write a lot together because we went off to become a production team after the band split and I think I learned more about songwriting in the 90s when I had to write for other people um, it wasn't quite as organic and you have to be more um, scientific about it I guess um, in try it's, it, it, I'm going to waffle on there about songwriting it's a hard thing to actually nail down it just happens <laughs> I could imagine now I you know in that line of thought lyrics you know, you sit there and, you know, people who aren't lyricists, who aren't songwriters, like me, like someone says, hey, yeah. try to write a song, and you write it, and you go, okay, I'm going to get something to rhyme with something, and you know, and you know how it is. What is, I mean, can you explain what your frame of mind is when you actually start writing lyrics, and do you know if it's good? Like, do you start writing and you get halfway through and go, eh, I don't like this? Or do you, I mean, do you know? Is it, is it like that, they say like that light, when you have the great idea, that light props up. Is that what happens with a lyricist, like for you when you write? 
Yes, it does. Um, so the way I write, and I suppose everyone's different, I prefer to write, a, I prefer to have the music there first. So I've got a, got a track or I've got a few chords and then I start singing over it. And as I'm singing, words start coming out of my mouth and I jot them down. So I, I get the sound of it before I get the actual lyric. So I know that it's going to be an owl sound here and an E sound there. And a, and then I start writing the lyrics around it. Um, I usually, I know it's good when I've got a good chorus, because obviously that's the most important part of a song, right? So if you've got a good hook, you know you're onto a good thing. And, and it, sometimes you get it and sometimes you don't. And, and in my experience, if you have to work at it, pretty much you're not going to get it. You know, if you spent more than a few hours on a song and it's not getting there, you should stop and start and start another one. And I think that was something I learned from listening to interviews with Lennon and McCartney. They just said, we write a song from beginning to end in a couple of hours. And if, and if we haven't, it's not right. You know, and I, I do get that having written lots of songs. Yeah. Now, when you, when you had the writing and your, your escape club has been found, first of all, how'd you come up with the name? I, I know you've been asked this question probably 2,050 <laughs> times more than that. How did you get escape club? Cause it's very catchy. And now there's all those escape rooms. So if you Google escape club or escape room, there's a good chance you're going to get escape club and people go, Hey, yeah, I that's true. That. <laughs> Look, I've, I've made up so many answers over the years. <laughs> really, I really have. And the honest truth is, it was the one name that we came out of a long list of names that no one was going to start a fight over, really. We were sitting up all night, maybe a couple of two or three nights. It's one of the hardest things to do is to find a name of a band because you know you've got to live with it. Because in your head, you know you're going to be playing stadiums. Every band thinks that. Every band thinks they're going to be as big as you too. So you think, well, we've got to have a name that people are going to, going to like. And to be honest, the Escape Club, I think John came up with it originally. Um, and, and he put it on the list and we all went, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. And looked around, and no one said I hate it, which they'd said to all the others. So, so that's that's how we came up with the name. I mean, it's a sim. I know every band has a story, but really, I'm old enough now not to have to make one up. Now, when you got you guys got the name, you're writing. How do you go about getting a record deal? Because you know you, you hear, you know, from you know people from '80s. You know, I'm a big '80s music fan, and you, you hear some just awful stories just like the shit that the record companies put bands through i mean you sit there and go you hate the record companies when you hear the stories how did you guys go about getting your first deal and did you have to jump through hoops or did it come pretty you know naturally and organic we've got a pretty horrific story like most people from our era um poof. well it, getting the first deal took a long time it took over a year we were we had a really big break right at the beginning. There was a show on in, in the UK called The Tube, uh, which which put on, you know, indie bands, up-and-coming bands and everything, and the guy who produced it saw us at a gig and said, you know what, you guys haven't got a deal, but your first unsigned band, I'm, I'm going to put you on. You know, So we were the first unsigned band on, on that show. And we thought, oh, God, okay, we're going to get a deal next week. They're going to be queuing up, lining up outside the door nothing we didn't get a deal for another year <laughs> and we eventually got a deal from emi um some young guy i can't remember his name tony i think his name was he was it was a, just a young scout he wasn't the main guy he loved us he came to see us at a few gigs and convinced his a and r man head of a and r to sign us and we did a pretty average deal um put an album out called Whitefields, which has since become a bit of a cult class classic, by the way. At the time, it didn't do that well. We, we got a bit of radio play, did a, did a lot of tours. Um, yeah, and, and that 
was fine. Then then we had a guy, the guy who ran EMI, this guy called David Munns, said to us, you'd better write a hit for the next album. I'll give you another album if you write a hit. I'm like, okay. Well, to get a second, you would never get that these days, by the way. You'd never get given that chance. But we went went back and thought, well, you know what, we better start thinking about being a, perhaps a little bit more commercial or come up with... And we wrote Wild Wild West. Um, and in that time, he left the job. He was sacked or he left or whatever. So we went back to EMI with Wild Wild West and they said, no, we don't hear it here. We're... <laughs> Which is kind of weird, right? Oh yeah. So you, you, they said they tried to write a hit. You go and you and you think you write a hit, and they go, oh, "We don't hear a hit." No, we don't hear a hit. So at the time, our management went, "Well, yeah, that's that's not the case." Luckily, we'd signed to a really big management company, but again, that's another story of woe. But um, they they eventually went across to Atlantic Records in the states and said. We're not mad, are we? This sounds like a hit, right? And they went, yeah. So so they negotiated the deal out of EMI. Again, we're the ones paying for it, as usual. Um, so we did sign to Atlantic. We had a number one hit with Wild Wild West, which was brilliant. But during that process, we'd signed our lives away. I mean, we, I never saw a cent from any of those records. Not a cent, not one cent. It's it's so insane. I mean, you, you think about it, and it, you hear these stories, and it just amazes you. And it's like, as I said, you just want to punch these people in the face. But you do. <laughs> now, with, with Wild Wild West, did the video, first of all, you make a video. Now, had you guys had a, uh, of course, what's the video you paid for? Uh, have you guys, <laughs> did you guys have video experience? And what was it like making that video for you? Because I get different stories. You know, actors are used to sitting in a trailer, shooting, downtime, uptown, videos a lot of musicians aren't used to that they're used to being on stage what was it like what was yeah. your pro what was, what was it like for you to do it i've got to be honest i didn't like it i don't think any of us <laughs> did really because you feel very exposed um and they won't let you I, i'm used to playing behind a mic singing into a mic you know guitar around my neck doing what i do you know i'm, I'm no dancer i'm you know that's <laughs> not what i do and they put you without your mic and say well we don't really want the guitar you know and you're just like left naked in front of these lights what are you going to do i mean some madonna could do it that's fine because she's a dancer but a rock musician very very unlikely they can do that sort of thing so it's a bit daunting i think we're lucky we came up with a really good video but it's a scary process for for your average rock and roll guy to do a record like that you know to do a video like that I mean. now what when you look back what do you think the popularity of mtv and it was a cool video what do you think that did that have a lot to getting you more exposure because videos back then everybody watched them now you know you see a few people make videos here you know here or there what do you, do you think that really helped put you guys on the map especially in the states I, I think we owe our careers to MTV. I'd be, I'd be really honest. I really do think we do. They, they really went out on a limb for us with, with not just Wild Wild West, but all of our records. They, they always prioritised and put them on heavy rotation. We really got on well with them, and, and yeah, they, they kind of, they broke us. <laughs> so I was really, you know, I can't say any bad things about MTV at all, really. Now, as you, as you were playing, as you guys were getting more popular, what kind of tours were you doing? Who were you opening for? Then you were headlining. What was the whole touring process through your career? And did you love touring, or were you like, "It's good, but"? Uh... No, we loved touring. We'd come from a. It's weird for us because we'd come from a really heavy. Because the first album was was much more 
say rock it was it was more indie sort of thing so we were playing to in sweaty clubs with 400 people jumping around um in, in the UK, supporting the alarm, China's crisis, you know, big country, all those bands. We came across to America, and because Wild West had been the number one hit, we were considered more pop than we considered ourselves, if you see what I mean. So we we started getting on some... We did, like, the um, spring break gigs and all those sorts of things. Um, we supported Mike and the Mechanics, which is a weird call, but actually turned out quite well. Um, that was interesting. We didn't really open for many bands we, we did a lot of our school tours and sort of um lot in the midwest lots of sort of um arena type things with um information society we did a couple with we, we kind of we're in a strange place psychologically as a band it was really weird because we come from this real rock thing to a, being more of an mtv stroke pop act you know so we were sharing a stage with tone loke and people like that which is great and those guys were brilliant you know um and, and I remember that our management offered us a, this is stupidity on our part, they offered us a gig supporting, oh God, I can't remember their name now, Blonde Girl, she's got the look, uh, what they called her. Oh, uh, oh. she's uh, uh, she's got the look. Yeah, yeah them, uh, those guys, Swedish, yeah. really good, she died recently. Roxette, Roxette. Roxette, thank you. <laughs> Guys, do you want to do a tour with Roxette? Oh, no, we don't really want to, don't think that's really us, we, should, we want a tour with excess. Idiots. Like if I was managing us, then I'd just knock our heads and go, go on tour with Roxette, you know, because <laughs> it's exactly your audience. Just get out there. And we didn't do it. I mean, we did a lot of touring, really enjoyed touring around. Um, and, and we are a live band. That's what we do. But, uh, now, we, yeah. now, when you have a hit like Wild Wild West in the early days, you have to play it. You should, and you have to play it. It's your signature song. But when you're starting out, when you're playing a concert and you're, you know, you're playing with Tone Logue or whatever, you know, where do you put Wild Wild West in the set? Because you know people are going to go crazy. And I would think <laughs> you might want to do it as an opener because people are going to go crazy. But then you might go, people would be like, oh, we heard that. Because, you know, people, the the the, the uh, attention span of people is just so crazy. Back then, where would you put it? Or would you sit there and go, screw these people. We're putting it as an encore because then we know we're getting an encore. No, we didn't do it as an encore. I think we did it the, the penultimate song. I think we did it, and then we did a... I can't remember what we did as the last song, but it was always the one before last. I think the thing, it is such a big song. For, it really is. I mean, we can't... You can't go higher than number one, can you, really? I mean, we've had other hits, and we put them in the middle, but, but until you... Until they, everyone's there to hear Wild Wild West, you know, and it's still like that. When we go and play now, it's, you know, you have to put it last these days. Now... What is it like, what's the feeling when you see, you know, you had this shitty time with EMI, and now you, you're, you have this new album, and you start seeing Wild Wild West climbing up the charts, climbing up the charts. Are you, are you sitting there inside going, man, I hope this makes it number one, or are you just sitting there going, this is awesome that we have a hit song? I, I didn't go to America until we had another one. So I was sitting in the UK watching it go up the US charts, which is kind of weird in itself. So it was a bit surreal. Um, we were, I was, I would have been happy with the top 20. I will be really honest. I mean, that would have been, I'd have been made up if we'd have had a top 20 with Wild Wild West. In some ways it might have done us a bit of good if it hadn't gone to number one, in all honesty. Um, 
the, the strangest feeling was flying into the USA with a number one record. That was just nuts. Coming from obscurity straight into number one. It, it was really quite life-changing, really. Now, you said maybe it would be better if it didn't go to number one. Why is that? I'm only saying that in retrospect because it's such a big song that anything else we did afterwards would never reach up to it. Um, and and it's all anyone wants to talk about, what all anyone wanted to talk about in those days, which is fine. And it's, it's like, okay, it's a nice problem to have. I'm not, not complaining at all. Um, I think for the life of the band, it might have been a little bit easier. It's hard to say, really, to be really honest. With you. I don't know. It, it, it's hard to say. When I go on the lost, when I go on the eighties tours now, everyone says to us, "Wow, you've had a number." None of them have had a number one. Not not any of them. I don't think any of the guys that we we tour with, and they're all quite in awe of the fact that we got one. At the time, we were quite. Oh yeah, we got a number one. That's cool. Didn't really. It's only now I look back and I go, Gee, "How do we manage that?" You know. <laughs> well, it is. You know, it is one of those things. You know, it's. And as I said, now, you know, back then it was like, you know, you read the Billboard magazine and you see the album and you'd be like, oh my God, such and such, you know, like Michael Jackson's Thriller was on forever. And it was, the, the charts were so important. Now, Wild Wild West went gold, right? The album? Yeah, it's probably gone platinum since, but I haven't really asked, no one tells us, but it went gold at the time, yeah. Do they give you a gold album then? Like, do you have a gold album at your house? Yes, okay. I do. That's one thing record companies always do. They'll give you your gold albums. They won't give you the check, but they'll give you the gold album. Yeah. So, so after a while, while, after that album, you'll have to go back in the studio. It took a while, it seems. Did it take a while for you guys? And, and were you sitting there? Did you have that feeling of, we had a number one hit. We got to produce. I mean, what was going through your guys' minds when you got back to do the next album? Yeah, that that's an interesting point. I think look a few things really. We've spent a long time touring, so we'd been we'd been on the road for a year and a half. You know, before we actually went into the studio, we hadn't had a lot of time to write. We were under pressure to write another Wild Wild West, which we thought we'd done with Call It Poison, which was a great track, I thought. But music was changing, and from the time because this is late eighties, really, you know, by the time we had Wild West out and had been a hit and we'd been on tour. We put, called it Poison. Well, I'll talk about writing. We were under pressure to write a Wild Wild West, but then I'll, I'll give this to our manager. Our manager came in and said, well, guys, you need to do a couple of ballads because that's what everyone's doing at the moment. Like, oh, really? We don't do ballads, man. You know, <laughs> we'll go and write one anyway. So so we, while we were recording the album, um, we wrote I'll Be There. Um and, and since then, that went to number eight, I think. Yeah, I think it was number eight. And I've got, I've got a disc with a uh, with a thing from my manager saying we don't do ballads, man, in, a, <laughs> in like quotation marks. <laughs> and thank God we did because we had a hit off that album, and I don't think we'd have had one because everything had changed. Um, and, and pretty soon, I think Nirvana came out the year that year or the year after and changed everything. It was, you know, we were right on the cusp of everything changing for that album. Now, as a performer, because as you said, you like to be up front with a guitar, um, is it not as gratifying, and, and that sounds weird, but is it not as gratifying when you sing a ballad, like, you know, because you guys don't write ballads, and then all of a sudden, you're in concert, you have to sing a ballad, and then, you know, you know, it's one of those things, 
the crowd gets quiet. The lighters go on. I mean, for you, I mean, did you sit there? It would. I'm sure. Did you like playing? You like playing the upbeat stuff more than singing about. I'm sure, even though the audience probably loved it. Yeah, it's funny, but I'm I'm looking back to last year when we were doing the '80s tours, and and you're right. In the past, I was like, oh, sh- we've got to do this song because it's a hit. Oh, I've got to get that to put it in the middle of the set, and it, we're all going to fall asleep. It's hard to sing a ballad as a singer always because your notes are usually longer, and you've got to really be pitch perfect. Um, but lately, when we went back and we were doing, um, we did um, the Lost '80s tour last year, and we put Arby there in, and people loved it i saw people singing along you know arms in the air and and because we're a bit older i guess i didn't mind just singing it just giving all i've got vocally and and just pushing it out there and the people who came up to us afterwards saying how much that song had meant to them and you know growing up and your people had died and it's touched them and all that sort of stuff you feel great about it so i don't have a problem with it anymore (laughs) now your career is going you're three albums in and you guys, is that when you, what happened? What, what, what happened to Escape Club? Oh, okay. Well, what I was alluding to earlier, the, the problem that we just didn't make any money. I mean, we just did. We made publishing because I couldn't get the greasy hands on it, but everything else got siphoned away. Um, well, you know, you figure even if you sold a million records, well, we're sold, I know, at least a million. Dollar, it was $10 a record then at the time. So that's $10 million went somewhere. I didn't see one cent, so and we all felt a little bit cheesed about that. So uh, we had reached a point, and, and I know most bands go, <laughs> go through this. But we've been together a long time um, from the early days, and 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 I think we felt stifled by the constraints we were under from contractual restraints. Really, um, we knew if we made another record, we wouldn't get paid for it, and what's the point, you know, probably go and do another tour, that's fine, we wouldn't get paid for that we'd be siphoned a bit of money here and there Um, I think we were a little bit creatively going in different directions as well Um, it's hard to go back to those times I regret it now, but but we we just decided to call it a day I wish we hadn't, I wish we'd kept it going and, and if we'd have had the internet, then God, we wouldn't have needed the labels, you know. But, but at the time, we just didn't see a way forward that didn't involve a lot of hard work. Most of the guys were living in in, in the UK, and I and I was saying, well, if we're going to do this, we have to go to America. None of them wanted to do it, you know, all that sort of stuff, and it just just didn't work really. Um, it's really sad. I, I look back on it, and, and I, if I could change things, I'd change it. But that's what happened. Now, so you sit there and you decide to go your own ways. Now, you're, it's. I'm sure in a band, that's your identity. They're your yeah. your buddies. I mean, that's, you know, now you're starting over. Is that when you moved to Australia? Or what was your whole process? What did you do once it was over? Because it shows you're talented. I mean, you had a number one hit. You guys were a popular yeah. band. So it's not like you're some schlubs. You know, you're, you're a good, talented band. What What is your game plan when when you decide Escape Club is done? Well, I think the thing is... I, I knew that, that I wanted to stay writing. Um, John, John, the guitarist, wanted to do production. We both wanted to do production and writing. I, and it sounds awful, but we kind of went off and, and just, just just started trying to produce other people's records. I, I was, at the time, my, my first wife lived in, lived in the States, so I spent a lot of time over in Connecticut. And while I was out there, 
I, I was talking to my publisher and saying, well, what chances there of ever getting into songwriting and producing? And he was saying, son, you've had a number one record. They're going to they're going to want you to do it. So, so as I went back to the UK, I kind of hooked up with the publishers there and and sort of talked to them. And, and basically, we just started again. John and I just started again. We started putting ourselves out there. Said, look, we'll make records for you and see where we go. So, we in the nineties we ended up producing a lot of pop records like really pop not what we normally do but you know we're pretty good at writing stuff so we just wrote a whole bunch of pop songs we produced we had three number one records with english pop bands over over here um i won't say any of it was particularly enjoyable it was it was good because we're sitting in the studio and we're working in music which is better than not um it, it, it lasted for a good few years we had a studio um for how how many years? I don't know, five, six years, and then that kind of started paling, and and, and we kind of ground to a halt a little bit. Um, I got offered a gig in Australia um, on on a show called Pop Stars, which is like a you know like the X Factor sort of thing. It was like the early days of that. So I went over there to initially to make the record for them. Um, John came over to help me. But while I was there, they, they offered me the gig sitting on the panel <laughs> doing the whole Simon Cow bit. So I, I kind of, I thought, well, if the country embraced me that much, but I'll stay there, I'll just, I'll do it. And I just stayed, did the show. Um, John, John went back to the UK, but he came back and lived in Australia as well. So I lived in Australia for 15 years. I've only just come back, actually. And while I was out there, I developed... Bands. I found a I found a young band there, and I brought them up to. They had a number one. They went platinum, so I, I worked on those guys. To sort of managed, produced them. You know, developed them really. Now, now, when you when you found that band, okay, how do you find a band? And then knowing that you know, I'm sure you have a very um. You're probably very in support of the artists because the record companies were just dicks. What? Yeah. When you when you find a band, what was it that you sat there? Did you just see? Was it just the look of them, or was it just one song? What made you decide that you wanted to take your time and dedicate it to this band? When you know the music business, we don't know whatever's going to happen. How did you How did you decide this was the band for you? They. I went to a, it was like a schools competition. A friend of mine took me down there because he wanted me to see another band who I didn't like, by the way. And, and these kids came on. They were all about 15, 16. And their songs were just phenomenal. They're brilliant songs. I was like, am I missing something? Are these covers or have they written it? They were leaping around the stage looking great. They'd bust a whole bunch of their friends down to make it look like they were more popular than they were. And I thought that's huge points for that, you know. And I went to see them afterwards and I just said, do you write all those songs? And they went, yeah. It's like, wow, here's my number, give me a call. And, and we just started working on it. And it took a while to get them there. But luckily in those days, MySpace was just starting and, and they were genius online. I learned loads watching what they were doing because they were kids, you know. And they started just screaming along online. And, and by the time I had record labels interested, they had queues around the block, like lines around the block for, for every gig they did. And the kids were buying t-shirts and banners in the air and it was just incredible it's an amazing ride it was a better ride than the escape club to be honest because it was it was like a Beatlemania down there it was nuts now, <laughs> do you think you are more of a help to a band like that than some guy off the street because you've tasted success you've seen 
you know, you've had crazy crowds. A guy who, I say, when I lived in Hollywood, you know, the suits. The suits don't know anything about writing. They don't know anything about producing. You know, they're the suits. Do you think it, it helps more because you have seen it and you, you know how to focus what they should focus, looking back on things that you may have had to want to do? It helps in far, as far as developing the songs and the stage presence. Um, it doesn't help so much in, I don't know, in the business side of things, it helps sometimes, but that always comes in the door before you. So whenever I walked into Universal, it walked in the door in front of me. If I'd have been a lawyer or something, they'd probably listen to me a bit more on the business side of things. Well, they did listen to me, but... Um, and then the relationship with the band got too personal because of it, because I'm that sort of guy. I'm not really, you know, I'm, I'm a musician. I'm not, I'm not some suit. So I think in hindsight, I shouldn't have become their mate, which you, which you do. And, and like managing any band is always going to win badly because it always does. And I, and I should, people have told me since, well, you know, that's what happens. But we did fall out in the end. And I, I regret that. It's sad, but you know, it's bands for you. you know? Now you, you said earlier, you know, you were writing for other people. Is it, as you, it's probably, I mean, you said earlier, 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 that it's almost, that's almost like, it's like a job pretty much. Is it, is it weird though, when you sit there and you write something and you go, man, this is good. And then you're gone, but I can't use it. It's for somebody else. I mean, is that hard as a writer? Not really, because the stuff I was writing, I probably wouldn't have sung myself. Because I think I've been, me as an artist, I'm always a little bit more off the wall lyrically. Um, so I was writing Moonspoon June love songs for, for bands, you know what I mean? So I wasn't really, I wasn't writing stuff that I would have done myself. And I, I think it's a different, it's almost a different thing completely, really. You know. Now, Escape Club is back. And I've been to the, yes. I, I went, I, you guys were, I went to the 80s on the, the, what, you were on which tour you were on the uh, retro Lost Eighties. Lost Eighties. Okay. I went to the yeah. Lost Eighties in Philadelphia a few years ago, and it was um, they're always a great lineup because you know. And, and I, I was uh, it was a uh, Cl- Clive Farrington and I, Michael Aston had both been on my show. So living in Philadelphia, it's not like L.A. In Philadelphia, you can get comp, and it was great to go backstage and meet these people that I had only talked to, and it was one of those things that it's such a great idea because. You know, I'm 56, and I talk to people about the 80s, and people are like, I mean, I see it on Facebook, my friends from college, like, oh, I love the, and the music was so, it was great. I mean, you know, you think about it, you know, we've gone through things, but it was just, it was fun, good, clean rock, you know, and people don't think as much as rock, they think, oh, 80s, it's like, no, it was rock. It was, yeah, it was. Now, when did you, well, first of all, when did you guys start getting back together and then decide you were going to go out on this tour? We hasn't been able to do it because he, he's had, he's, his wife died, he's, he's made that out there so everyone knows. So he was he was incapacitated for quite a while. Um, I would love to him to have come earlier on. So John and I did it at first and then, then we got, Johnny came and joined us, which was brilliant, and now we're a full band. Um, and there was nothing like the first time the four of us actually went up on the stage and played as a full band for the first time in God, 30 years or whatever. I think I can't even, it was at the Aretha Franklin stadium. I think in, I think it was anyway on this last tour and it was phenomenal. It was so good. Um, we always, I, I probably haven't answered your question here. I've just gone off, but what made us decide to do it? Well, because we enjoyed doing it. <laughs> it's the truth of it. It's the truth of it. Now, but you you have recorded other albums after you guys broke up, right? You got back together and recorded yeah. something. 
Yeah, we did a, a, an album called Celebrity. Um, that was quite a few years ago now. It's probably about eight years ago. Um, and we're in the process of doing another one. When when that will be finished, I don't know. But yeah. Well, what was it like when you did Celebrity? Did your did your you know, it was 2012, and that was a big time difference from when your last album was. Had your had your guys' songwriting changed? Had you matured? Because you sit there, you know, that's, I mean, you look, it's 20, over 20 years. We were all different yeah. people. What was it like for you to get back and start writing again? Did you Did you think you may revert to the old style, or did you pretty much change your style for this album? We changed our style for it. Um, I think the songs are way better because we spent all that time learning about songwriting and production and all those things. So, so I felt really comfortable with. I really liked the songs on there. It, it lost a, a bit of feel because Johnny couldn't join us, so we missed his bass. So we missed all, all the Escape Club stuff comes from the feel of Johnny's bass. So we did lose that a little bit. But as an album, yeah, I think it really stands up. I, I really like it. Now. You said you're writing now. You're working on new music. What What are your songs going to be about? What's the direction you're going? What is the sound? Because you said you're matured. You know, as you said, celebrity, you, you thought the songs were better. Now you have eight more years of that you guys have been working and, and honing your skills somewhat. What's this album going to sound like? It's an interesting one. Sound-wise, it's already sounding good. I've, I've, obviously, I'm doing it so I can hear it. Because Johnny's back, he's, he's got the vibe. So we've got the old Escape Club vibe, plus we've got all our knowledge and songwriting abilities. So we're not going to rock with it. We're, it sounds big, um, very, very groovy. Lyrically, it's an interesting, you should ask that, because it's something I've been asking myself, because I'm 61. What do you write about? I can't. I'm not going to be writing about going down a club and picking up girls, you know, it's just not, it's, uh, I could, but I think I'd get locked up. It's not what I do. So I'm just writing about what it's like to be here now. Um, and it's been taken quite a bit of searching really to get to that because like I was saying to you before, when I play a song and I just, the words start coming out of my mouth, I have to start thinking about, well, don't do the normal words you do because that's kind of just going to be an old escape club record. This is new. This is about us being a bit older. You're singing to an older audience. You know, you're singing to people who've had kids or who, who may have lost their jobs or who who've lost people. And there's all this whole new thing about being our age now. And I'm trying to encapsulate that in what I'm writing about. Now, through your years, who are some people that you've met that when you were a kid, you never thought you'd meet in your life. Is there anyone that has just blown you away where you're like, holy God, I just met such and such? Well, I met McCartney. <laughs> that, that, to me, was really nuts, just because he's Paul McCartney. I mean, God, yeah. Anyone else apart from him? I, I never met Bowie, and I wish I had. Um, not really, because... No, I, I haven't met any heroes. Not really, apart from McCartney's the only only one. Um, we met Queen, lovely guys, you know. But eh, I just they're they're just the thing is, you learn is they're just another bunch of musos, the same as us, really. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I haven't. <laughs> we, we did, you know. And like when we we're all backstage at the eighties, kids, we're just a bunch of musos. It's not really. <laughs> how, how did you meet? How did you meet McCartney? Our old manager, who's a friend now started managing him um so he came to visit us at the studio john and i were in in london and he said and he didn't tell us and i think he said oh i've got i'm some i'm meeting 
some people later. And we came downstairs and Paul McCartney walked in and, and Paddy said, oh, Paul, meet the boys. And we just sat down and sat and talked to Paul McCartney, which was a lovely guy, you know. But Paul McCartney's Paul McCartney. He's been, in, been that person all his life. He can't be normal like the rest of us, you know. Whereas we were, do- for instance, we were doing, we were working in the studio and, and Coldplay were in making their, it was the album after the one with Yellow on it. It was the second album. And we got friendly with him, played football with him in the car park, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I remember sitting down with Chris Martin and he was really like, oh God, everyone's put pressure on me to write more songs for this album and I just don't know what to write. And John and I were just going, mate, just sit down and write them. It'll come out. It'll, and, and it did, obviously. <laughs> it did slowly, yeah. you know? So what, what I'm saying is that you meet people who who are really famous, but really they're just a bunch of musos. But McCartney's the only one who's, who I've gone, oh my God, yeah. Now you figure it was Bowie. You said you're playing football. Who's your team? Oh, not me. I'm not particularly. If anyone, it's Arsenal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, became, I became a Tottenham fan just because. I oh. Be, I had I had a good friend in L.A. and he was a Manchester fan. He's from London, and he was going back to L.A. I mean, back, going back to visit London. I said, "Get me a soccer shirt." But Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal, uh, Chelsea, and Man United were so popular by people in America who never even really followed soccer. And I said, just get me right. something different. So he brought me back a Tottenham shirt. <laughs> I became a fan. <laughs> if anyone, I support Sydney FC, who I used to go and see when I lived in Sydney. So they're, they're pretty bad. <laughs> now, now, for you, yeah. you know, you're, you're back performing again. Have crowds changed? Have, you know, have, has the dichotomy of the live music, I mean, I always crack up when it used to be the lighter, and now people have an app on their phone of a lighter. I'm like, oh, yeah. come on. And there's no Frisbee getting thrown. There's no pot getting smoked back like concerts used to be in the 80s. What have you noticed as a performer? Because when you do your 80s shows, also, you're getting an older crowd. And yeah. the difference is, now the difference is older crowds have more money, so they have. I think they have more fun because we can sit there and we can afford to buy a fifteen dollar beer or a few of them. What have you noticed being on stage, looking out into the audience, and seeing fans that have loved your guys' music for age? Do you do you notice that? Yeah, I, all, what I see is joy, and that's what was missing before. I think there's not a mosh pit there anymore, of course, <laughs> because we're all too old for that. But. People are there, younger, we went there to have fun anyway, but we're there to have fun with their friends and whatever. But when you go there now and play, everyone's looking at you just wanting to have the best time and you feel welcome, you know, and it's just, it's wonderful. I really love it. It's like, it's a big party. It's great. Now, will you guys, once this all gets done, like I said, I'm getting refunds for now, except of course, one group is rescheduling it to 2021. I'm like, I don't even know if I'll be alive in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, just give me my money back. Will yeah. you guys start touring again, or do you, will you jump on the Lost 80s? Or because you have a new album, do you think possibly there's your own tour, or is it just something that you really don't want to do? Oh, God, no, we want to tour, definitely. We're, we will try and jump on an 80s tour for 21. I know we're not on the Lost 80s, because they've told us we're not. So, but, but there's probably others out there that we could jump on, which we'd really like to do. And I've had a couple of promoters... Um, contact me about doing our own gigs in smaller clubs so we'd have to kind of tie the whole thing in because we don't have a manager now or anything like that it's hard to coordinate it all um, effectively i'd love to get have a manager in the states but that's a whole other question so yes we will do eight long answer to short question we'll definitely want to do more gigs as many as we possibly can to be honest now you were 
you were much bigger in the U.S. than your home, than the U.K. Why do you think that is? And, and, and why did you leave the U.S.? Because, you know, you said you lived here and, and there's so much, there's so much work here. I mean, what, 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 why do you think you were so big? I mean, you guys were huge in a number one year. What do you think the difference was? Well, the difference was that from a business point of view, it's, it was the two record companies. We had a, we were signed to Warner's in the rest of the world and Atlantic in America and Atlantic did an amazing job. The UK just didn't catch on to the record. And I don't know why it's the weirdest thing. I, it, it doesn't bother me too much. And we were big in Australia as well and like Canada. And um, why I didn't stay, why we didn't stay in the US, I don't know. Looking back again, it's one of life's regrets. I, I wish I had. Um, yeah, <laughs> I wish I had. I, yeah, I, I don't know. At the time, it didn't make financial sense to because, like I was saying, there wasn't any money around. And to go and move to another country when you've got no money is not easy. But you're right, there was loads of work. We could have just stayed together and gigged, but we didn't. Now, before we go, I want to ask you two questions. One, what's the first time, if you remember, you heard yourself on the radio? And two, what's the first time you heard Wild Wild West on the radio? The first time I heard myself on the radio was a song called Rescue Me, which was our first single off of the Whitefields album. And I was sitting at the studio where we were recording the rest of the album. And somebody shouted, hey, hey, we're on the radio. And I remember hearing it. And I was sitting in a garden and it was just a beautiful summer's day. And wow, that was amazing. Quite an amazing feeling. Wild Wild West, I can't remember exactly where I was. We we flew into New York and immediately had to do loads of radio interviews. You know what it's like. I was doing like 200 radio interviews a day or whatever. Madness. Um and we were in a car. That's it. We were in a car. I think we were going upstate. Anyway, and the, and the rep was, and had the right, um, what was the, um, I can't, was it WDRE? Was it the Long Island station? Anyway, it was one of the, one of the radio stations suddenly just started playing it. And we were in a car, number one, driving up the road. Amazing. And amazing where, feeling. Where, do you remember where you were when you heard it was num- a number one hit? Do you remember where you like Yeah, the- I do. I, I was in a pub um, near my hometown out with my buddies um, and and we had a thing where I had to phone a manager up who was in the States I can't remember how he did it I think I had to phone his pager and he phoned me back with an anyway he phoned me back in the pub because this is pre-mobile phoned me back in the in the pubs on the pub's phone I said okay well, tell us what's the news and he said you're number one it's like okay put the phone down went back to the bar and just said to the guys, we're number one. And they said, I remember them saying to the barman, hey, this guy's number one in America. And he went, yeah, right. (laughs) 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 No, no, just real quick, the 80s tour you just did, what was your your favorite city to play? Because for some reason you guys skipped Philly this year and I was pissed. Oh, no, we didn't do any of the East Coast. Oh, I wish we had it done now. Um, It was just because schedules didn't tie in. I really, I wish we had. Um, favorite gig was, well, it's probably the Greek Theatre because I've never played at the Greek before. And wow, it's sort of iconic venue, really, isn't it? So, um, apart from that, we did a gig in Hidalgo in Texas, which is right on the border, and that was just amazing. That was a nuts gig. I wasn't expecting to be, but it was. It's 
most of the audience was Mexican. It was nuts. It was a really good gig, though. We really enjoyed ourselves. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. You know, I want to thank you for taking the time. As I said, it was, it was, I, I was I was watching that uh, the abducted by the eighties. And I was sitting there going, I got to get these guys on my show. And then after that, I booked uh, Matthew Nelson from Nelson. And now I'm going to do, I'm going to do uh, from uh, Nick from the Cutting Crew. And the thing, because you know, Mike Score has been on, and Clive has been good. And I got, I went, I went, to, actually went to an '80s concert with Clive at the Greek. Uh, me and my wife went with him. It was uh, the retro Europe, whatever. It was with Howard Jones and stuff like that. But as I'm such a, a fan of '80s music, and you know, people, you know, it, it's so funny how. Either you get it or you don't. Like, you know, like the 80s were just the time that you just sat there and it was fun and there was no political correctness because we all had manners. I mean, it was different. Yeah, we, we were... That's a great quote. That's so true. <laughs> but it's true. We were just, we were good people and we drank and no one got in trouble. But so I want to thank you. You know, it's funny. I was, uh, I always listen to the song. I listen to Wild Wild West and I'll be there before I, you came on just because I always like to hear the song before I interview the guy. And uh, real quick, Wild Wild West, what was the inspiration for that song? It was about living in the Western world. So there's lots of little references there. Ronnie's got a new gun. It's about Ronald Reagan. Give me safe sex. It's about getting AIDS. You know, it's it's about, it's just about living, funnily enough, living in London and under, in the Cold War. It's That's what it's about. <laughs> well, that's awesome. It's a great song. I want to thank you for coming on. I know your website is uh, theescapeclubband.com. That's right. Yes, it is. Now, are you so? Are you on? I know you have a Facebook page too, uh, the Escape Club. Yeah. Are you on Twitter or anything? Or yeah, we're on the Twitter as the Escape Club. Our main our main place is is Facebook, to be honest. But we we do go on Twitter. Yeah, with and and Instagram. Well, great. Yeah. You know, people go check out the Escape Club. Go check out Trevor. Maybe you'll have good music. You heard it here first. We're working on a new album. Uh, go <laughs> follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. Instagram at CooperTalk1, my website, CooperTalk.net. You can find over 800 episodes. And email me at Cooper at CooperTalk.net. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.